Good to be back after a weekend away out at retreat and to pick up where we are. For those of you who haven't been with us, we have been in a series called Edify. Edify is an old word, but uh, it's a good word. It means to build up, and especially to build up in heart, to build up the body. And that's what this series is about. In fact, that's what the retreat was about, to build up the body. Now, let me just give a quick recap before I get into today. We're in part four, a message I've entitled... Encouragement and endurance, but to just a little bit for those of you who haven't been with us, how we got to this point. So part one, I entitled that message, The Organic Living Body, and it talked about the nature of the church itself. It's not a mechanical, corporate type of organization with pieces that we can simply easily replace and lay off, as some of you may have experienced within your corporate life, but it's more of a living body. And to build up the body is more to breathe life and health into different members of the body. Part two, I had a lesson about gifting. And that was a pretty long and involved sermon. Maybe some of you um, gave me some feedback about. But how the church, how the Bible talks about how different aspects of the body have gifting, but really it ultimately pointed toward a deeper and more excellent way. And that's what we got to part three. We had a message... A very important message from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is how love, love is the more excellent lay, which is even above gifting. That's what we talked about two weeks ago. Today, I wanted to do a very particular, a very important, a a very um, pointed application of the more excellent way of love, and that is encouragement. And not only just encouragement, encouragement which is steadfast, and which endures. That's what I like to talk about today. And encouragement, which is steadfast and endures. Um, I've uh, the text that we're reading out of is First Corinth. I mean Romans chapter fifteen, and it's an important it's an important passage, which is coming. I mean, it's um, it's kind of hard sometimes when you do these little pre- when you do this preaching because it's coming from some place, going to some place, and I'm going to try to get at that, um, especially right here in this first part of my message, but. This message on encouragement and endurance, as I normally do in three parts. Part one, part one, the strong and the weak. The strong and the weak. It's a question I want to ask you about this, the strong and the weak. Part two, encouragement and endurance. This importance of what, why we have encouragement and endurance. Many of you, and I'm going to make that accuse, or I should say many of us, but I want to say many of you because I want to really point to you, okay? Many of you very much deeply underestimate encouragement. How tremendously that important that is in life, how important that is in the church, how important that is in God. Right? So encouragement and endurance, and then part three, the heart of welcome. All right. Part one, after all that said, let's start. Uh, let me ask you a question. Are you a strong person? Hmm? Do you consider yourself a strong person? You don't have to answer that out loud, or uh, I'm not going to make you raise your hand. Are you a strong person? Um, some of you probably think, yes, I am. You know, th- let me just give you some hints. Uh, if you're like, I don't know if I've ever asked myself quite that way. Are you the kind of person that never asks anybody for help? Are you the kind of person that regularly asks, what's wrong with that? You know, name, fill in the blank. Why, why can't they get their act together? Are you the kind of person that has little patience when other people seem to break down or complain or cry? (laughs) 
then I would say whether you want to answer that question, I'm a strong person, you do think you're, you're a strong person. Or at least you act like you're a strong person. Let me ask the question a little bit differently. Do you consider yourself a strong Christian? I know some of you here, I don't know if you consider yourself a Christian. Um, but Christians are people who believe in Jesus, who think that through Jesus Christ they know the true and living God. And through Jesus they have been made sons and daughters of the, of the true God. Do you consider yourself a strong believer, a strong son or daughter of God? That's the way this text starts off. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And that's just the way I want to start off this message, because that's the way Paul is getting at this question. But just to get at this, you know, some of you are like, am I strong, am I weak? I think you have to just answer that question. And today's message is especially geared to all of you, and the reason I want to start this question, who think you're a strong person or you operate your life as if you don't think you need help from others, without regularly you know, turning to other people for help, or with pretty little patience for when other people seem to stumble and, and aren't making it, or in very little ways you think, you think they're failing you. Now, this passage, this portion, it's, it's, a, it's coming you know, following a discussion. Sometimes when you read the Bible, and it's got like, you have a like passage like this, and it goes 14, chapter 14, and then you go to chapter 15, we think these are the, the, the supposed the right breaks in the, in the passage. And there is a, a new topic that's being coming, um, coming upon here in chapter 15. But actually, this isn't the way the Bible was originally read. The Bible was, it was a letter, <laughs> And, it's, and do you guys write letters and you put little verse numbers, one, two, three? I mean, you know, that's not the way you write letters. Dear, you know, dear John, right, blah, 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 how are you doing? And then you write little numbers in there, one, two, three. And, and sometimes that's a little misleading. But when Paul wrote this letter, there, there's a previous discussion. And the discussion has something to do with this. And, and I want to give you a little background on this because it's, it's kind of helpful for you to understand what does it mean by strong versus weak, and in, in, the, in, the, in the first century times, there are lots of different reasons that, and it's a, it was a very multicultural and multi-ethnic setting with people coming from different perspectives on religion, on God, right, and wrong. So if you guys think this idea that we're living in a relativistic and pluralistic society is something kind of strange and new, it is not new. It is very, very old. And that is exactly the type of church you had. You had this church in Rome. Rome was a global city full of lots of people from all around the world, quite frankly. And many of them started coming to faith and started attending this church. And within this church, they would start to have disagreements. These different kinds of people from different ethnicities and backgrounds and varying levels of spiritual and religious maturity, different levels and understanding of theological and biblical depth, and they would come and mash up against each other in this community. And then there would be certain flashpoints of disagreements and flashpoints of ways that we could spark people looking at each other and going, oh, he, he's stupid. What's wrong with him? I can't believe she does that kind of stuff. So to give an example, there, there was, well, this was sort of the example, but Paul doesn't just think that this is the, it's, it's not... It's not the issue for us today, but it is an issue which is emblematic of lots of issues like this. So there was a controversy. In this time, it's a highly pagan society. 
And so they would have all these false gods, and they have these temples and worships to these false gods. And so people would go to these false gods, and what would happen in these, I mean, lots of, today, they would have these orgies, these prostitutes, uh, temple prostitutes, and then they would also have these worship services, and within these worship services, they would sacrifice animals, and they would eat this meat. And so, but then what would happen is, that meat, which was slaughtered at the pagan worship services, would then be sold at the local Safeway. And you guys know what I mean by that, right? Except they didn't call it Safeway, whatever the, their local Safeway was. Safeway or Lucky's or Costco. And, the, and then those people who grew up in such contexts, they said, you know, I used to bow down and I used to do that temple orgy stuff. And then, and then I found out about this, this Savior named Jesus who forgives me of all my wretchedness and sinfulness and has patience with me when I fall down. And, and I knew he was the, he was the true God because only the true God could do something like that and wash me of my sins with his blood. I mean, that was a completely outlandish, astonishing message back then. Just as today, it is maybe a familiar message, but it's still an outstanding, outlandish message. And so, then you have people in the church and various different attitudes. And you have people in the church who would say, well, meat is meat. And so there are these foolish people out there who don't know any better, but just because that meat was offered to some false god doesn't make that meat any less meat. It's just good. So now, you know, went off to the market, now I bought it home, and guess what? We're going to eat it. Because <laughs> steak is good. <laughs> and they'd eat it. And then well, what would happen is, some other of the people who came out of that type of background, who would, so they would look at this meat and they would go like, I know where this meat came from, and isn't this... A, Corrupted? Isn't this full of really terrible sin? And full of the spirits of the demonic that I used to offer my body and my life to? And this, this, so they would say, those were bad things and I can't touch that meat. And then you'd have a whole other set of people who would, say, who would go, well, hey, I, my theology is better and I know that that is perfectly fine meat and meat is just meat. And that God is totally false, and we can eat it. And Paul would say this. This was the, the, the previous teaching that leads to this text. This is what he says. He says, look, and this is really interesting. It's really important, because Paul doesn't just tell you what's right. What he does is he gives you an example of what is the more excellent way, which is what I taught you about two weeks ago. He doesn't talk about we have a gift or we, we know what's right. That's the way typically we tend to fight in the world. Either I'm, I've got, I'm, I, have, I have some kind of gifting which makes me more interest, important than you. He doesn't lean toward just his, his calling as the leader in the church. He doesn't just say there's right and wrong. He says, look, we know there's all these idols and these idols are false. And all things created by God are good and we can eat them. But, but, if... Eating the meat, which is totally within rights, my rights and freedom, if eating that causes my brother to stumble, to fall down, to in no other way, in some way, help him have a harder time following Jesus, 
or to think that in some ways, like, I don't know. It's like, oh, I don't know. And really, it burns his conscience. He's like saying, then you know what? I don't have to eat the meat. I can eat the meat, but I don't have to eat the meat. And, in one, and, in, and, in, and on a certain level, his deeper knowledge is what makes him stronger. And so then as he gets to the next portion of the letter, this is what he says. Those of us who are stronger have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. That verse, those of us who are stronger have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. I want to drop that seed. This is a very, very important seed of thinking of heart attitude of truth. Because it's not just about who's right, who is wrong, who, who has stronger, who has, who has uh, certain gift things in the church. I have a gifting. Because the fact is, if you have a certain strength, you know what that is? It's a gift. If you have a certain theological knowledge and a biblical stability of certain of depth, you know what that is? That's a gift. And two weeks ago, I talked to, Paul gave us all this about gifts, but then he says, well, now let me show you a more excellent way. This is a very important application of the more excellent way. There's so many people in the church. Oh, I know this, this, and this. I've been in church a long time. Or, or there are those of, you, those of you who grew up in families. You had a solid dad. Your mom was a good wife to her dad, to your dad. Your dad wasn't a drunk. Your dad didn't take off when he got depressed because work wasn't going very well. Your mom was very supportive. Your mom was very nurturing. You grew up in a family like this. And then you come into a setting. You come into a setting called the church. And then you meet people. You meet people whose who's emotionally are kind of all over the place. You don't understand why, why they regularly seem to complain or whine or why they don't have staying power about how they do things. They can't seem to hold their job down. They can't seem to make it through school. They emotionally seem to kind of come apart. You know that the, the, you are among the strong. <laughs> I, I regularly find that in the church, there are people who within the world have a certain kind of maturity. You know why they have that maturity? Because they had a nice mom and dad. <laughs> a lot of times, the reason why people are able to ho- go through school is because you had parents who wanted you to do school. You know why you're able to hold down a job and why you're steady in your job and then why you're able to build wealth and then why a, an attractive lady wants to marry you, actually, is <laughs> because, well, because you had a good mom and dad. Is that on you? Somewhat on you because you have to learn how to learn from them and follow them, but the fact is it was, it was largely a gift. You're among the strong, but that's not how we think. We're among the strong. And then all these people come in, and, and, and then to you, they're weak. And you know what? In, in a very real way, they are. In a very real way, in one way or another, they're weak. And as you, as you bump up against them, they're, well, they're annoying. Or, or they, they rub up against you another way. Or they even seem insulting to you. They insult you. I mean, like, how dare they tell you that there's something wrong with you, <laughs> right? And there's, that spirit is in the church. 
And, and Paul is taking this as a very important example. You come up into the church. Are you among the strong? Are you among the strong? And then there's these people. They, they, they're the weak. I mean, come on. Can't you just get over it? Can't you just get over that, that, that meat is just meat? Come on, man, just eat. I mean, I don't know why you want to be a vegetarian because meat is good, man, so just eat it. <laughs> um, and it's not just moral scruples. It comes up in so many different ways. Some of you come to church. You're very good at coming to church on time. Some of you are good at, good at reading your Bible. Some of you don't have temptations toward alcohol or pornography. Or you have a certain kind of emotional stability. So you don't fall down due to discouragement or depression. Some of you are that way, well, quite frankly, and, some, and you see that as strong. Actually, some of you are that way just because you're emotionally cold. <laughs> Isn't that kind of mean? <laughs> some of you are that way because you're stoic. And you're just a totally heady person. But you're, you don't have much going on down here. That doesn't make you strong. That actually makes you weak. But you think you're strong. <laughs> because you don't have any obvious ways that you fall down. But there is a way you're falling down. You know how you're falling down? Because you're not bearing up with those who are weak. And I want to flip this thing on the, on the front. I started off by saying, are you strong? But if you're strong in this way and you have very little patience for the weakness of people around you, you have very little patience with snotty teenagers <laughs> because they're snotty. And, and, well, of course, I'm not talking about anybody in this room, okay? <laughs> but, um, or you have very little patience with people who don't seem to have their act together in the world. Well, let me tell you, you're not strong. In a very important way, you're weak. Paul's talking about a different kind of strength. And it's a strength where you have to have a love of Christ which endures a more excellent way. And this is it's such an important seed that if we want to build up the body, that if we're going to live in a community which is genuinely of God. So many people today, we say, I want to find out something that's really genuine and authentic. And we want to be in a community where people treat us and we're mindful of the weak and they respect us in the things that we're actually strong. And the fact is, strength and weakness is a very odd thing in the church. Because you walk into the church and most people that I notice, they, they really have a very, they don't have an eye for this, but strength and weakness church is full of difficult discernments. It's not obvious. People in the, there are ways that people that, who look very weak are actually very strong. And then there are people who look very strong inwardly are very, very weak. And just to give you that example, I started off by saying, you're mature in the world because you had a certain, you had first nice mommy and daddy. Well, a lot of people see that as strong. But actually, in the kingdom of God... People who are maybe very mature in the world may be very babies in Jesus. And there are people who may, in the world, look not very mature, but deep down, they are powerful in the spirit. It's a very different understanding of strength and weakness. So this first part of the message, just 
I want to complicate this and, and challenge you how you think about strength and weakness. And if you're a person that doesn't have very much regard or patience and don't have much space, you have no margin in your life, so your life is just all chopped up to run your race, to run your schedule, but you have very little margin in your life for patience, for, for weakness, for hurting, for falling down, then you think you're a strong person, but let me suggest to you that maybe there's a lot more weakness than you think. Part two of my message. Let me talk about encouragement. Encouragement and endurance. Um, this is the way he says it in verse 2. Let each of us each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. That's edify. And then he says this. Here's the reason. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. That's what Jesus is saying to us. There's a reproach. There is an insult. There's a complaint which should rightfully fall on you. But let me tell you, I came so that it would fall on me. You know what that is? That's the gospel. <laughs> and within that, opens up a whole nother world of living. There's a whole nother approach to life and community. And, and here's goes. So, so, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instructions, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Here we go. Through endurance, through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now, the word here, encouragement, I want, I want, to, I want to use it. I think it's in a twofold way. The scriptures encourage us, and how does it primarily encourage us? Because there's a word from the Lord himself, Jesus, who says this, there should have been a reproach upon you, but I came so that that reproach, I would put it upon me. That's the encouragement. You know what the encouragement is? It's the gospel. The one who was ultimately strong. The son of God. The king of kings. The richest one. The one who flings little stars into space. You galaxy over here. With a word. Came. Born. Laid in a major. Walk with the poor. Touched lepers, ate with prostitutes. People all around who are what? Falling down. Who are weak. Just surrounded by weakness. And then who are the people they would regularly like bop up against who would, that they found him offensive? The people of the time, they were strong. They were called Pharisees. They were called religious elites. They had education. They came from kind of put-together families. They had money. They, they had their act together. They had no obvious kind of like moral failing. And yet they met this person who was the strongest person ever. And he was offensive. <laughs> Why? Because he was constantly making margin and space for the weak. In fact, that's what, exactly what he came for. There was a reproach which should have been upon you. But I came, so it should be upon me. And that should be the heart of the church, the ultimate encouragement. 
And when you come into the church, if you are strong, and there are those who are weak, you know what? There, is, there was an encouragement that was given to you from the scriptures. That encouragement is the word of Christ. It is himself, Jesus Christ. And what do we do? We are a gospel-centered church. We're a church that believes that the community has to be built upon that word. They're built upon the word who became flesh, who is himself encouragement. It is the most encouragement thing there is. And you know, we get into this place. Um, he said this in this very interesting way. He says, let each of us please his neighbor. He says that Christ came not to please himself. And you know what that is? It's a whole new humanity. It's a whole different way of life. It is utterly, exactly the opposite of how we live. We live in a very, very selfish-oriented society. Let me put this really bluntly. You're really selfish. Your life is about you. Your life, you wake up in the morning, your life is about what you're going to have for breakfast, what you're going to eat for lunch. We all sit around, we're so selfish, we're mindful of other people's selfishness. That's how we are. That's how we are. We live in a consumer-oriented life. Hey, this product that they're trying to sell you on TV or in the magazines, it's all about you. It's going to make your life so great. Everything in our life is geared to please ourselves, Please myself. Please myself. But Jesus came not to please himself, but to build up his neighbor and to encourage the weak. That's what he came for. And, and let me just give just quick three, let me, you know, I can tell you you're really selfish, but let me just, there's three ways. Number one, cynicism. I think cynicism is a very common way that selfishness is expressed in our society. You want something for yourself. And you walk into a community, and you have some hope that maybe this community could be, there's could be a little more righteousness in it. More generosity, more humility, more kindness, more welcome. You come in, and you you taste a little bit in one corner of the church. And then you go to another portion of the church, and then you meet a person that you think is a bit of a jerk. Or you think is impatient. Or you can't understand why they seem to be morally failing. And then you you go, oh, this church just sucks like every other church. Oh, there's no real hope out there. There's no good people out there. And so we're very schizophrenic, kind of two-minded set of people. On the one hand, we desperately long for genuine righteousness and beauty and love in the community. And yet at the same time, we're very cynical that there could be such a thing. And that cynicism is because constantly we have no patience. And we're always seeking quick, instant gratification. I mean, if you're like me, I put the popcorn in the microwave, and then I, boop, 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 I punch the numbers, the, the minutes, and then you know what I do? I'm like thinking, dang, can't this pop any faster? <laughs> it's like, pop, 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 pop. All right, come on, come on, come on. Get to the end there. The commercial's almost over. <laughs> Got to get back to the World Cup match. <laughs> That's how I think. But many of you, you show up at church like that. It's like instant love, instant acceptance, Instant maturity, instant spiritual life, God. Like, it's like a popcorn deal. And when it doesn't happen in two minutes, 
You get cynical, impatient. It's wrong. It's because you're trying to please yourself. And please yourself in two minutes. <laughs> um, self, uh, selfish consumerism. I already mentioned this. So, what are you going to go out to lunch today? So, you, I know a lot of you afterwards, this isn't, you're going to remill it together. And then after this is over, you're going to want to go out to eat together. And then you're going to, what are you going to do? You're going to sit around. What do you want to eat? 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 And there's so many choices. And so because no, everybody kind of wants what they want, and we all want to be self, you know, we're, it's, we're so weird. We want to be sensitive to other people's selfishness. It's really odd. So then you mill around here talking for 45 minutes and can't decide on where to place to eat. <laughs> It'd be a lot easier if one person said, we're going to go get Chipotle. And all the people who don't feel like eating Mexican that day will just go, okay. <laughs> It'd be a lot easier, wouldn't it? Because really, is the purpose to eat what you want to eat? Or is the purpose to go spend that time together and love each other? Right? So who cares if we eat McDonald's, really? But we all, we're all consumers, got to get what we want. We do this all the time. And if we do that in the church, the church will never be powerful, it'll never be beautiful. And you will be sad. <laughs> you and I, and really the whole world will be sad. Because the whole world longs for a beautiful, heavenly community, which is better than this selfish, cynical thing that's happening all the time. Everywhere, just normal as can be. One more, um, just self-absorption. Just self-absorption. Some of you, many of you, this is Silicon Valley like this. You have all your time divvied up. And it's all for you. Or maybe for your girlfriend and you. Or for you and your wife. Or you and your wife and your kids. But your life is all absorbed with your schedule, your workout, your TV shows, your entertainment, your, your internet websites. And then there's very little space for other people, especially weak people. And then there is, when there's space for other people, they, they're only the people you like. And you don't want to hang out with anybody and then them dump any of their problems on you. Or they're complaining on you, or they're hurting on you. But that's just another expression of self-absorption. Now, antidotes. The antidote is surprise, encouragement, and endurance. So, whatever, it's like 30 minutes to get to the, to the, to the heart of the message, okay? Encouragement comes in so many different forms. But it starts this way. Hey, this life is hard. I'm not good at it. You're not good at it. But let me just offer you some kindness in it. A word. The other person looks discouraged. And you say, hey. Hey. It's better than you think. Jesus is still king. And I'll walk with you. Maybe you don't quite say it that way. But that's what you mean. Or how about you, you, something very great happened to you this week, and there was a blessing that happened to you this week. And you know, what, you, you know what's encouraging? You share it. 
In our community groups, one of the things that we regularly like to do is we share our praises and our prayer requests. It seems like, oh, that's just so simple. Here we go, here we go. The praise and the prayer requests. You know what? It's encouragement. The praises are encouragement. Because it's very easy to walk through life and not see that God is good to you. He's regularly good to you. He's good to you. He's good to you. And when you say, this was so good. My daddy gave me this great, great gift this week. And someone else is sitting there going like, I had a really crummy week. And God seems really far away. But I remember this person last week had a crummy week. And this person is usually a falling down, weak, and depressed kind of person. And if this person can see God, maybe I can see God. See, it's encouraging. Um, Words of kindness. Your own genuine, even if small, expression of pursuing faith. How about just being mindful when somebody else hurts or falls down? Listening to someone else in times of need. These are incredibly encouraging, especially if you're doing it because Jesus has encouraged you. Especially, even if in the smallest way, Jesus has loved you, you will now pass just in the smallest way that on to somebody else that's encouragement, and it's powerful. It's incredibly powerful. Let me offer you a little bit of homework this week. Homework. Gosh, you want homework at church, okay? But this will be good. This week, once per day, so it's seven, you get seven pieces of homework <laughs> until next Sunday, okay? Just once per day, encourage somebody. Just one, okay? Just just, this is the application for today. Just encourage somebody. It could be really small. Think of somebody that you know is going through something hard. It could be something really, I mean, I, this is kind of lame, but this, this is helpful. Text a little, a little text message. Hey, how are you doing in that? And don't be surprised. First, hey, whoa, <laughs> thanks. Somebody actually is thinking about the thing that's really hard for me. Just give him a little text. From the genuineness of Jesus loving you, just drop that into their day. So just once a day. Okay, come on. It's not too hard to ask for, is it? Just once a day for a week. Just try it. Just try it. Second, endurance. This passage talks about enduring. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. Um, for those of you who went to the retreat... We heard this incredible message. And, you know, it was like, like some outland, some, some super-duper brilliant message. Really what it was, was in many ways it was Christianity 101. But it was so, I, I, I listened to this thing and I was like, wow, it's such, such good. We're going to drop this into our church. And really what he says, and you, you can hear John talk about it today when he was talking about the retreat. He, talk, he, he preached from 1 Thessalonians 1.3. This was Pastor John's song. And he said, if you want to have a great church, there should be labor of love and an endurance of hope. And you see, it's, it's great to have encouragement. But what we also need is regular encouragement. We need an enduring encouragement. <laughs> Some of you are good at saying, I want to follow Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to try to do this. And then like about two weeks later, 
It's like you've fallen down already. <laughs> You're not doing it anymore. But what we really need is endurance. And you know why? Because we all fall down. And let me just let you in a little secret. Because we're all weak. We all need help. We all need encouragement. Me too. Me too. You know, because like, I'm such a super holy man. I just stand up. And the power of Jesus just comes into my day. And I never swear. <laughs> I never get angry. I never get discouraged. I'm never tempted to go to like, just eat ice cream like a pig. Just because I feel down and bad about myself. I mean, just it just never happens. <laughs> right? Because I'm just a super holy man and that never happens, right? <laughs> so, we all need encouragement. And the gospel life is a falling down life. Let me tell you something. The question of whether you're really following Jesus is not a question of whether you fall down. It's not a question of whether you fall down. You will fall down. Probably today. Probably tomorrow. In some ways big, some ways small. But the gospel life is that you will change and you will endure by grace. And that grace isn't just you and Jesus. It's you and Jesus and your family. It's you and Jesus and his body. It's you and Jesus and his church. And we need each other to endure. Which is why encouragement and endurance, they go together. And encouragement absolutely helps endurance. When you fall down, if somebody encourages you, it just helps you that much more to come back up. And if you fall down to a really dark hole, if someone will pray for you, if someone will keep reaching out to you, if five or ten brothers will keep their coming, coming, keep coming back to you and believe and believe that Jesus is in you when you don't believe it anymore, that's a powerful kind of encouragement. <clears throat> Let me close my message. The heart of welcome. Here's the way it finally says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Okay? Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. When you come into this church, into this community, I'm not just in this, this building, but anytime we gather together, do you come with a heart to welcome? With margin, with space. Not, there's like, everything's so cluttered up with self-absorption and cynicism. But no, there's, there's space. And you go to somebody's house, and, and if all their junk is on the couch, <laughs> and they have no food to offer you, and they have no time to offer you, you show up their house, and they sit on the couch, watch TV. There's no other place for you to sit. And they don't offer you any food. Are you welcomed? There's no space for you, Right? And the heart must be like that. It must be like a welcoming living room where people are not self-absorbed and there's space to come into the living room and break down and be tired. Years ago, um, I'll tell you the story to close this message. Years ago, my, my wife and I, we went to the church that was deeply formative for, for, uh, for her and for me. It's where we met it was a church where the spirit was strong. We weren't always good at 
the theology wasn't always the best. And the word was sometimes kind of weak there, in all honesty. And we were stupid. It was young people that we believed that there was a Jesus for the weak. And I don't know how there was a whole bunch of young people that could believe in that. Because most young people are not like that. And one of my dear friends who was, who was a, you know, I, I, was a, I was a young, I, wasn't a, I was an unordained pastoral leader at the time, and I really didn't know what I was doing, and neither did the three other ones that I worked with. But one of the brothers that I worked with, he, 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 he called our church, the Church of Misfits. That's the way he put it. Who shows up at our church? Well, because at that time, there was, you know, there was like, kind of like two other churches that a lot of Asian Americans like to go to, and they were cooler than us. They were bigger than us. There was one church where, they were, that was the church where everybody had their theology together and they were all going to go to great graduate schools and, and, and then be successful in life. And that wasn't us. And then there was another church and they were bigger than us too. And their music, they had this fantastic band and the people dressed really well. They were, they were the, kind of the pretty people. So they, they were the smart people at that other church and the pretty people were at this church. And then there was us. Right? <laughs> And nobody ever quite put it to us this way, but we were sort of the dumpy people. That's where I met my wife, okay? <laughs> we were the dumpy people. Right. And we were the church of misfits. And there was a brother, um, and I'll give you his name because I, I know he would not mind if I told this story. In fact, he would say, you should tell this story because that's the way I was. His name was Tom. And Tom was a faithful brother. He came to the church, and he used to serve. He served faithfully. So there was a lot of young people, and we had to like drive vans off to colleges, and he used to drive this van. It was a, nobody cared about the van driver, and it was really hard to get other people to do this work, and nobody wanted to go take, you know, fight the traffic in the middle of like a Friday afternoon or get up really on a Sunday morning to go bring a bunch of whiny college kids to church. And he did this for like two, three, four years, and he was constantly trying to recruit other people to do this, and then people would do it, and then they would fall out of it, and then they wouldn't want to do it, and then, then they would call him at the last minute and say, I can't do it, and he would have to scramble. It was stressful. It was thankless. And over time, he, as he began to do this, he started getting cynical and angry and, and, and bitter. <laughs> and so for those of you who went to the retreat, um, Pastor John Song said this, the encouragement and the building up of the church is every member's responsibility. Every single member. Because if only a few do it, they will get bitter. <laughs> That's exactly what happened to Tom. So Tom served very faithfully. All these college kids got blessed because he paid the price. And over time, he just got, started getting more and more bitter and bitter. And he just turned into, I don't want to use the word, but you know it's... It starts with an A, and it ends in a hole, okay? <laughs> right? And that's, he just started becoming this really unbearable jerk in the church. <laughs> and um, so he'd come into the church, and literally some people would leave the church because of him. <laughs> he fell down. And people would talk to him. This guy... This guy had fairly sound theology. He was a more mature person. But he had fallen down into a dark hole of anger and bitterness and cynicism. And many different brothers and some of the sisters would talk to him and then, they would, and then he'd bite them. 
It's like, isn't, isn't that what's so fun? It's so fun to go love somebody, and then the, your response, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. You go to try to love them, and they bite you. <laughs> so he's like driving all these people away who, who are trying to love him. And there was a, one of the guys who lived with him. He must have been a saint. <laughs> in, another, in another small group time, he said, okay, this is my prayer request. My prayer request isn't for me. It's for Tom. <laughs> he's in a really, really bad place. And nobody wants to love him anymore because <laughs> he bites everybody. And nothing will reach him except for prayer. And so then ensued a number of people in the church. They took that to heart. They loved Tom. They wanted to recover this, this broken down, bitter brother. Instead of just wanting to kick him out of church or tell him he's a complete idiot, and he was being an idiot. I mean, he was pretty bad, okay? And instead, five, ten, twelve brothers and sisters just started praying. A couple started fasting for him. I was one of them. And then, and then I ended up leaving the church. I had to move to the other side of the country. And then about six months later, he went to this retreat. He didn't want to go. And then about five or six other brothers and sisters, they made him go. He went to the retreat. At this one portion of the retreat, the pastor, he was kind of a more charismatic guy. He says, come up for prayer. You need to be prayed for, especially if you're hurting. And he didn't really want to do it, but he did. And then like a dozen brothers and sisters came upon him and started praying and crying out loud for him. And when those hands were lifted in prayer, he was a changed man. That's encouragement. It's endurance. I hope that's the kind of church we have. Isn't that the kind of church you want to be a part of? It's not the pretty people, not the rich people. Some misfits, some dumpy people. You know, they're just people like us. Or someone will encourage you and will endure. Because ultimately, that's what Jesus did for us. He came to encourage he came to endure all our garbage, all our bitterness, all our cynicism, all our pride, and pull us out of the, the hole called damnation and idolatry and selfishness, the hell that we make for ourselves. And he said, all the reproach which fell upon you would be upon me, and now let me love you. Let me encourage you. Let me endure for you. And a new humanity could be born. That's the church. Look, the church is the hope of the world, guys. The church is the best thing in the city. It's absolutely the best thing in the city. When the church is the church, heaven is breaking into the world. The best thing in Silicon Valley is not Google or Facebook or McMansions or little houses that that are pretend McMansions that cost $2 million. It's stupid stuff, right? It's a ridiculous city we live in. The best thing in the city is a church full of encouragement and endurance and Jesus being Jesus, where people chase Jesus. Let's build up the church for his glory. Let's pray and go to the table of the Lord. <clears throat> Thank you.
so, we're so impatient, Jesus. I hope that many people in this room will do the homework. <laughs> Not do the homework because they're good A students, but because they long for you, Jesus. As we sang today, we want to see you lifted up higher and higher because you are the way to heaven. And when you are lifted up in this way, an encouragement and endurance breaks in to this fallen community and this falling down people called the church, then heaven breaks into the world. And we pray heaven will break into San Jose. And heaven will break into our hearts, our cynical hearts, and the hellishness of cynicism and self-absorption will be washed away and the heavenliness of your encouragement and of your endurance, of your blood which washes us of all our sins and of our cynicism would come and make us new. So as we go to your table now, make us a repenting people, make us a changing people for you. In Jesus' name.